BD, how are we doing tonight? It'll be an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, a lot to talk about. Big week of news. No kidding. Big day of news. Huge. Big day, yeah, for sure. Big day. But I mean, just whole week in the NFL. Really, uh, a lot of stuff going on. Sure, we got some dynasty trades with people moving pe- uh, pieces around, but we got real NFL teams making some big boy moves too. Trade. Turtle, hey, how are we doing what's, tonight? What's going on, guys? How is everyone going? How's everyone doing? Good, good. Just uh, finished watching the finale of Search Party. I'm not going to give anything away. Yeah, I got pretty deep into it last night, but I did not get to see the end of it, so I'm going to do that at some point tonight. It's a good little series, good little quick watch. Good comedy, good comedy for sure. Um, yeah, I think you'll need some laughs. Uh, so, Turtle, we had it out today. Why don't we, before we even hit music intro, um, let you get anything off your chest that you want to get off of. I, yeah, I'm not a happy camper. <laughs> I don't think most of the guys in the league are a happy camper. Uh, they saw the advantage taken of the already decimated E. Rosie's team. And uh, at this point, I just I just chalk it up as, hey, man, if you're not going to be smart enough to uh, make these decisions and really dig into the, the uh, you know, really dig into the numbers on it and just make trades, then you don't really deserve to have a chance to win in this league. And let I think me, let me ask – let me ask, um, if you're in a rebuild mode in Dynasty and you're looking at a two- to three-year timeline before you expect to compete, um, moving someone like Zeke, that's that's what you want to do. I mean, you made a hit that the best guy on the roster is Mike Davis, but what not the approach in a rebuild you want to get rid of your depreciating assets and take a bunch of shots on wide receiver and QB, things like that. I mean, he picked up Bourne, Atwell, Devontae Smith, Trubisky could have a starting job. Moving Zeke, I know I know other other pieces were moved, um, mainly from his team, Renfro. But um, moving Zeke is, if you are if you yourself in a rebuild, you're trying to get rid of an aging RB, are you not? Trying to get as much I, as you I, I agree with you. I, I think that that alone would have been a great trade. The fact that he moved his two second-round picks for this year's draft in a rebuild mode just baffled my mind. And it wasn't like all of the numbers added up. It was just like, hey, I'm going to add in these extra two second-round picks, and it just didn't make sense. When you see it on paper, as much as you want to say it does make sense, I truly don't think it did. I think it was it was an interesting trade because I think all three parties had – independent objectives with what we're trying to do right yeah i get that i, I think rosier uh and and you know not not to speak for rosier but rosier needs needs to be in rebuild mode right he needs to be taking those shots on on any players that can provide him any sort of value to you know accrue assets or, or whatnot right i mean independent of the picks that that got moved right uh myself i actually downgraded myself from the dynasty perspective by trading away Terry McLaurin, who, you know, is a better dynasty asset than Zeke or Renfro. Um, you know, but, but I think I did, uh, I think I actually strengthened myself from a contender perspective by getting someone who I think probably has another RB one season in them. This, this may be the last one, um, you know, and, and, a. I don't know, chalk it up to a wide receiver three, maybe a wide receiver four, 
um, in Renfro. I mean, may, maybe he's more, right? I know the dynasty community is not really looking at him as as that type of asset right now, but yeah, I I don't disagree with that assessment. I just think that um, from an outsider looking in, and I spoke to a few other guys in the league about it. They it was just it was just it seemed like an utter chaos. You know that that's it. It seemed just like this kid's just giving up all of his all of the rest of his shot at at least trying to win a few games next year and all of his assets for the for the, the draft this year. So it was just very, very confusing. And we know who made out like a bandit. Matt, you made out like a bandit, so you're happy with it. Um, but overall, it was, Jeff, very, very confusing. Not not to mention the fact that I threw in Juju after the fact as well. After You, you did. Pretty right. I, I, and I respected that. Because you guys knew how lopsided it was. I mean, if you didn't think it was lopsided, there's no chance you would have thrown in Juju. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think in the next few weeks, th- the numbers are going to flip, even the numbers that we were sending around in the photo. Um, and, and we'll get into some of this with the news. If Deshaun Watson lands in Philadelphia, uh, Devontae Smith's value uh, was bought probably – uh, at a low point, and that that's a great that that's a potentially great move. Um, I agree with that, man. I Trubisky do agree. With, gets, I agree with that. If Trubisky gets some trust, and and I, I know you're low on him, Turtle. Uh, I think Brian and I stand in the same camp where I believe he's going to go to a team, and that when you are drafted top three or top five in real life overall, you get these extra chances at. Um, at, uh, you know, mulligans where you'll be a starter while you're young. You'll get these starting gigs as a top pick. We see it happening with Sam Darnold. Um, don't want to put him in the same camp as Trubisky. I think he's actually led a team to the playoffs in, in, uh, with the Bears. But if he gets a starting gig um, in a super flex format, that there's a lot of value kind of buying in low there. And I, I just comped him in the numbers to, at a low point, Jared Goff would be like 18 points worth of value um, in, in the trade calculator we were using. Mm-hmm. However, um, you know, if he goes somewhere else and is a backup, things obviously change. All I'm saying is we have our opinions now. Maybe this is a good one. Let's bookmark it. And in a month or after the NFL draft, let's come back and see what this looks like. And uh, see if the narrative has changed at all. I think it was a big one. It was the first three-way of our kind, uh, in our league anyway. And uh, it certainly ruffled some feathers. But ruffled. Full-blown ruffled. Full-blown ruffle. Um, that chicken's naked now, man. There's the, <laughs> after that ruffling, that chicken's naked. All right. It's, on that, on yeah. that let's, let's turn it. We'll hit you guys with the intro music. Uh, this is Can Feel You by Nico Anuch. We'll hear what he's got going on, and then uh, we'll jump right into the news. All right. So, guys, welcome in. We're on episode five. Today, we wanted to talk a lot about the NFL coaching changes and what is happening and what are those impacts um, 
to you in your dynasty community as you manage? Things are moving around. What type of head coach history is he? Is he an offensive? Is he a defensive coach? What does that mean to the skill position players? Um, and then, of course, uh, offensive coordinators, if they're calling the plays, let's get into a little bit of their history and, and, and talk about what that means. And we got a lot of changes to get through, so we'll spend a few minutes on each team. Um, as usual, we'll try to keep this to an hour. But first, and I see James down in the chat commenting about Amari Cooper to the Browns, and he's right. Um, that's where we want to start with today's news segment. Before we get into the coaching changes, let's talk news. Um, obviously, a big week since last time we talked with a lot of QB changes and trades. But a few hours before we hit record tonight, uh, yeah, we did. Amari Cooper traded for a fifth-round pick and a sixth-round swap of picks and then Jarvis Landry told basically you can go find a, a, a new team. Uh, Brian, what do you think about this? I mean, I, I think the Cleveland Browns did a nice piece of business here. I mean, for, for the fifth and sixth round pick swaps, I mean, it's, it's a low risk, high upside move for a team that, you know, I think coming into last year where it was a lot of people's dark horse, to be a potential Super Bowl contender. I think with Odell Beckham having left town, with Jarvis Landry potentially being out of town, although I will say with an asterisk, I was I was reading beforehand that uh, Landry's already called his agent up and has asked him to uh, to restructure his contract to potentially stay. Mm. So maybe maybe uh, some some movement there in the Landry camp to uh, to be a little bit more accommodating to, uh, with the contract, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good piece of business, and um, you know, and we're, we're in terms, yeah, in terms of fantasy, what do you think moving from from Dak to uh, to Baker? And I'll, I'll, before I ask that, and I don't want to guide the witnesses, the quarterback is changing, but also the target tree is also changing. I, I just would say there's probably much less competition on one team versus the other. Does that kind of equal out maybe the reduction in quarterback, or do you just say? dynasty stock down for Amari Cooper uh I mean I, I think it's a it's a downgrade for me um I, I I definitely think that being in the Cowboys offense was a little bit better I don't know Turtle what's your thought uh plot twist for it I think that uh I think that Baker and Amari are going to have a really good connection and you guys are going to be surprised to see that he puts up some really good numbers this year like you said, the target share is going to be there for him. They don't really have any any other weapons besides Jarvis Landry, who's not even guaranteed to stay. So, yeah, I think Amari is yeah. one of the best route runners in the NFL. If Baker can somehow put the Odell thing in the past and just start feeding his beasts, you know, yeah. it can really only go up from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always liked the Minnesota Vikings uh, in the past few years specifically for that. I mean, it was Stefan Diggs and Thielen. It was really just them two. Obviously, Diggs moves on. Jefferson's there. It was Jefferson and Thielen. I just like the very narrow route trees. Um, and I think, you know, there's potential for that. And Joku being franchise tag doesn't really mean much for me. Uh, yeah. When I look at, and maybe they'll do more in free agency, but right now it's DPJ, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Amari Cooper. I mean, I, if he doesn't walk on and have a 27 to 30% target share, um, well, I guess the other thing is he could have got injured, and that's why he doesn't have the target share, because he always gets injured. But if he stays healthy, uh, I might I might lean towards what you're saying, Turtle. Maybe lower quality, lower quality targets, but if you're getting more targets... 
uh, maybe that evens it out in the long run. I agree with that. I think he's just an elite route runner, so if Baker can somehow find a way to get it to him, it'll work out. Yeah. All right, so Turtle, we'll stick with you. Big news yesterday. Uh, Grand jury decided not to indict Deshaun Watson on criminal charges. It seems like that was the shoe that a lot of NFL front offices were waiting to drop. There's much less concern in the uh, the civil suit side of things. It seems like people are going to be making trades, and the, uh, the insider scuttlebutt is even potentially before the new league window starts, which is on uh, Wednesday the 16th, there could be a trade done. Um, what do you think his best destination is? What's best case scenario for Deshaun Watson and then ultimately the weapons that he's going to land with? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I guess my first question to you is, do you guys see what the odds are for where he gets where he gets traded to? I, I did, yeah. Um, Who, who's Vegas got, Brian? Caroline is the odds-on favorite. And that would mean that they would have to let go of CMC, correct? Uh, potentially, right? I mean, I, I think they'd have to definitely be moving their 106 this year. Um, and, and probably at least for the next couple of years, they'd have to give up their first overall, uh, their first round pick. Um, probably a defensive player goes along with that. One of their young guys that, uh, that they drafted in the past couple of years. Yeah. Like. I, 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 I see what you're saying. I think that if he does land in, uh, Carolina, that just, wow, DJ Moore is just going to skyrocket. That value is going to just go nuts. So help me out. Um, I'm drawing a blank here. Does he walk into the NFC South, instantly become the, uh, does Carolina become the odds-on favorite? I mean, certainly you got the Falcons, you got the Buccaneers. Who's the other team in the AFC South? Uh, NFC South? Uh, Falcons. Bucks, Falcons, and Saints. Saints, yeah. So you got you got Saints in flux, potentially Jameis. You got Matt. You got Wiener Crown, and you got an unknown with with the Buccaneers. Maybe Carolina is looking at it and say, you know, RBs are replaceable. We can we're making playoffs, baby. If we just get a QB here, uh, like you mentioned, DJ Moore, um, the other talent that they they've brought in. Uh, Maybe there's some some truth to that. Just on paper, they instantly become the best because they got the best QB, probably by a wide margin. Yeah, yeah, that that that, that division is in shambles. As Ooh. as the uh, resident DJ Moore owner here, um, there is nothing more that I would like to see than Deshaun Watson going to the Panthers. You know, the thing that I think we have to keep in mind is uh, the Panthers have already gone down this road exploring a trade for Deshaun Watson or a shutdown. Uh, he obviously wanted to be in Miami at that point. That didn't come to fruition. And Miami come out pretty objectively saying, we don't want you here. Uh, seemed to be more of a, a Brian Flores thing than anything else. Uh, does that still continue to be the case that Deshaun Watson doesn't want to play in Carolina? I think you guys made a couple good points about the division being wide open. I think the other division that's wide open is NFC. East and and Philly yeah. sitting there with quite a quite a lot of draft capital this year to make that happen. Yeah, that makes sense. But even even depending on where he lands, I don't even think he's guaranteed to play the first uh, however many games. Even if it's four to six games, I, I think he's going to see a suspension coming. So by that time, who knows where the 
if the Panthers get them where they'll be in the standings, you know. So it's, it's not like they're clear-cut favorites to win just because they get Deshaun Watson because the NFL could easily step in and say, no, 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 you're suspended for 12 games or, or yeah. whatever it is. I mean, it's a fair point, right? Um, the Eagles now this year, they have, correct me if I'm wrong, three first-round picks in the 22 draft? Wow. Yeah, three first-round picks this year. Yeah, so, I mean, it's think about it like when we're trading, even in Dynasty, right? Because that's essentially what the NFL is. Um, if someone says, hey, I'll give you three picks for someone, and it's one this year and one next year and one the year after, versus a team that says, I'll give you three first-round picks, they're all in this year's draft, um, you get that immediate type of um, joy, that, that immediate type of benefit received, uh, the sooner those picks are. So, you know, maybe if it comes down to it in their like packages, they're going to let Deshaun say, hey, which one do you want? Or, hey, let's go the Eagles route. That, that's, that's where we're comfortable sending you. Let, we're going to agree to that in the front office and then force Deshaun's hand to either use his no-trade clause or not, mm. right? Um, so there could be some hardball front office politics still yet to come that we, we're not going to possibly be privy to till weeks down the road where – how was the decision made, and, and, and who's really steering that ship? Is it Deshaun, or is it them just looking for legitimately the best packages and then saying, are you really going to veto your chance out of here to be a starting QB on any NFL team? So certainly we'll talk more about that as it uh, as it unwinds. So I guess if we're working legitimately backwards in the, in the timeline, um, the next piece would be uh, Russell Wilson, blockbuster trade. We know first-round picks swapped, second-round picks swapped. Um, you got Fant moving in one direction, Drew Locke, and you got Russell Wilson coming in the other direction. Brian, break this down for us. Who's who's winning? Um, who's losing? And uh, is it as easy as just saying all Broncos up, all Seahawks down? Yeah, maybe. I mean, Russell Wilson is, is a and has been a – top quarterback in the league for quite a while and he's really known as a deep ball accuracy type player he hasn't really been allowed to cook uh you know traditionally throughout his career he's been in the run first Pete Carroll offense this should open him up in Denver um, and I think we'll talk about the the head coach there a little bit later on but I think that that could do wonders for for him in that offense and give him the opportunity to really essentially cook. Um, I think that the clear winners in this are the Denver wide receivers, and I think the clear losers in this are the Seattle wide receivers, although I think that DK Metcalf has been devalued enough to where he's probably a buy now before people realize that he's still good no matter who his quarterback is. And, and how are you handling Tyler uh, Lockett? Is he just, uh, hey, I don't want anything to do with him, the, the stink is, is, is too much, or does yeah, he have a price too? He's definitely the clear, clear loser in my mind. And I really, I mean, he's he's rumored to be on the move anyways, so he, he may not even be in that situation. So again, I mean his value's way down. If you could get somebody to sell low and he does get moved, it may end up being something that works out for you in the long run. But it's it's a risk, right? You gotta weigh your risk. Yeah. 
So, Turtle, you, you had quite a swing personally in your dynasty stock on your team with, with, with that move. Um, you own Sutton and you own Albert O. I won't even try to say the last name. But uh, how did you feel coming away from that, that trade? I mean, obviously good, but realistically, what are, you, what are you thinking those guys' ceilings are now versus what they were with Bridgewater and Locke at the helm? Well, we'll put it this way. Anything's better than Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater throwing you the ball. Mm-hmm. So again, Russell is a is a is a clear cut upgrade. The guy is a proven a proven winner in the NFL. Um, with that being said, I, I I would say first off, Judy and Sutton increase drastically. I would say that they're probably both at least top twenty receivers by the end of next year. I don't want to put anything anything uh, higher than that for them. And I think that Albert O can realistically be a top ten tight end as long as they don't bring in another guy like Robert Tanyan or, or one of these other uh, guys that are on free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very happy about it because I really thought that Cortland Sutton was just dead in the water. I He had such a down year last year, um, and he's still so young. It was very disheartening to see. So at least this year he's going to get a chance to uh, prove that he's an NFL-type player. Yeah, And I, I'm looking forward to seeing that at least. Yeah, I mean, he had the Pro Bowl season. He yep. then toured the ACL, and he was done. Yeah, and uh, obviously he was nowhere close to being all the way back. I mean, granted, like you said, there were some. He's he's, I'm down the field twenty plus yards, and that's where I need to make my bacon. And if you're not having quality targets to you, it's obviously it's going to come through and it's going to hurt you. But he he didn't do much to to build the faith in in, in that. He was back to health, back to that Pro Bowl form. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right. He's going to have every opportunity in the world to show that he can. he's healed. He's over the ACL. He's got the juice back in the legs, and he can go win and dominate downfield against, you know, um, team's number one cornerbacks because likely he will be um, with that larger outside corner. Judy moves around the formation, lines up in the slot, etc., little bit harder to to send someone across the formation but he son's gonna have the bigger guys turning it back to the fantasy um side of things you're you're an owner are you holding or are you trying to maybe capitalize a little bit on the hype i think personally i think that the hype for denver has has reached almost out of control levels um do you are you better off shopping him and, and not risking uh, that he's not all the way back and just saying, hey, you know, the, the stock's up. I want to take a little bit of profit here. I mean, for me personally, the way my team structure is, I have three elite wide receiver assets that I'm going to be starting in my lineup every week. Sutton is right in that, like, fourth to fifth wide receiver on my team. So for me, I think having that Sutton-type player as a depth piece is super important. But if the right trade came along, if someone was actively seeking to get Sutton on their team, I would 100% um, field offers and even counter offers um, just because you never know what you can get from him. He is, he is riding a big hype right now, but I see him as, as being someone that will get integrated into their offense very, very heavily okay. for, for next year. I, I think you have to sell Albert O personally. Um, his value is never going to be higher than it is right now. You said I, I don't disagree with that at all. I, 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 you know, I'm riding the Alberto hype train. I've never really seen him play too much because he's never really been on the field. But 
from everything that is being said on Twitter, he he's off the uh, charts with the analytics, height, weight, speed. Um, so we'll see. Maybe he maybe he will uh, maybe he will end up being a, a good a good tight end in the NFL. But it's it's always a crapshoot with those types of guys. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I'd also I'd also challenge anyone to really name a, a Russell Wilson tight end that has has set your world on fire. Um, yeah, and and not only that, but I think you also have to remember like. They the 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 this is not a narrow route tree that's focused on the tight end. The no. tight end is not going to be a focus in this offense. You've got, you know, we talked about Sutton, we talked about Judy, but behind them you have Tim Patrick, who just got a pretty big contract extension last year, and not not only him, but you have KJ Hamler, and then you probably have, I mean, maybe maybe not Melvin Gordon coming back catching passes out of the backfield. Yeah, I was gonna say you, you gotta you gotta put. I mean, at least what? I mean, six per six to nine percent minimum. I mean, bottom bottom of the barrel type target share to the running back room as well. Um, and that's on the lower side if the yeah. entire RB room is getting nine percent target share. I, I just I don't see Albert O finishing above a top twelve tight end next year. I mean, it's, I, it's, I don't disagree with that, but I also think that a top twelve. Um, tight end is still pretty valuable for for a team that's that's their second tight end you know it's not like sure. alberto's my yep. only option so i have to start him he's just he's just an added freebie that i got off the waiver wire randomly one day that i didn't pay anything for so it's like if he develops into a stud great if not you know i didn't pay anything for him yep and that i mean that's the great thing about having the deep deep rosters um in dynasty is you should be using um you know, 10 to, um, you know, your starting spots. If you're starting 10, you should match at least that with the number of, of bench spots with people that you can potentially swap in. Not everyone has the luxury to have 10 playable p- players on their bench, but you should try to get there where you got bi-week fill-ins and depth QBs or someone with the high upside handcuff, even if you're handcuffing a QB who frequently gets sick like Lamar or someone. However... Um, with those final five spots, you should be doing what what Turtle is is saying is you know take those lottery tickets, and um, if some of them hit, then you got a nice you have a nice problem on your hands. I'm gonna ride this, or I'm gonna cash in my chips and take the profit, right? And and either one of those at that moment in time um, is the right decision. Now how that ages is, is is another story, but you know that when you're there selling that that lottery ticket that you got well you've won to that point any any final thoughts on the Wilson trade no looks good it looks good on paper let's see if they could be uh top dogs in their in their division Denver, all right quarterback all right. uses now yeah and then last uh last news story we'll touch on before moving on and, and we can probably go through through this one a little quicker because um, not sure much has changed, but Aaron Rodgers has come back. He's re-signed. It looks like he's going to be there at least this year. Um, there's rumors of a, of a much larger contract uh, and longer, potentially four years at $50 million a year. Those details are not yet confirmed. What is confirmed, he's going to be there this year. Um, beyond that, you'd, you'd probably guess he's going to be there for at least another year or two. We'll see what how much of that money is real versus how much of it's uh, not guaranteed. But, um, again, does anything really change? I mean, the wide receiver one is tagged. Uh, both running backs are back. 
maybe they just need a wide receiver too because um, Scantling is hitting the free agency uh, wire come Wednesday. Has anything really changed? How much How much do we need to discuss of, of what happened in Green Bay? I think the only thing that's really changed is Devontae Adams' perceived value. Because at the beginning of the offseason, everyone was very down on him. They're like, oh, we don't know where he's going to go. If Rodgers doesn't go back, his value just de- declines and dips. But now that we know that Rodgers is going to be staying in Green Bay, his value is, if not, the same or better than it was last year, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, probably... I, I tend to agree. His value is probably back to the level it was at the start of the 2021 season versus where it was with the unknowns at the end of the 2021 season. Yeah, because so. everyone was selling him like crazy. As soon as the season ended, they were like, all right, we're selling him. Um, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback, but now it's at least cemented in stone for a couple more years. So, you know, he's getting up there in age, but he's still one of the most dynamic players in the NFL. So it's good to see. I think yeah. Who's, whose value uh, got saved, I would say, versus increasing is Aaron Jones. Mm. Uh, I, I think I, I think he he was on a clear downward trajectory. They restructured his contract, which helped, but I I think life without Aaron Rodgers probably would have been a step in the direction towards the AJ Dillon show. So I think Aaron Jones didn't drop. AJ Dillon to me probably took a slight dip. Just yeah, because yeah, Rogers, Rogers likes to um, have that explosive weapon on the field. Definitely will get Jones potentially more snaps than he would have seen with, um, you know, another QB uh, under center. Okay, all right. So that's the that. I mean, obviously, a lot more news has happened, but those are the major headlines. Want to move on to kind of the meat of the show where we're going to step through the the head coaching changes and the OC changes. So we'll kind of just do this alphabetically, uh, not going to play favorites with any teams. And the first head coaching change alphabetically is the Chicago Bears. I want to start with this one. Um, we have Matt Eberflus coming in. He was the former defensive coordinator of Indianapolis. If I even take a step back and say... The changes that Chicago has made leave me highly, highly concerned with all skilled position players in Chicago and even the direction of the franchise because, and that's saying a lot, because Nagy was the head coach last year and not saying they're worse off, but I don't know that they're any better off in Chicago. So first things first, we got Matt Eberfuss, defensive coordinator, coming in. We have on the offensive coordinator position, um, Luke Getze, who was the quarterback coach in Green Bay. Never called plays before, obviously. Um, and then if you want to just, you know, get tic-tac-toe, um, to round it out, you got a brand new defensive coordinator as well. I would imagine Iberfus calls his own plays, but just across the franchise, if you ever look at something and you're drafting, and this is mostly for redraft, but if you ever want to make a decision, if you're stuck between two players at a skilled position, uh, maybe look at the team, uh, look at the guy a little more favorably who knows his coaching staff versus a coaching staff that's brand new. And right across the board, defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball, these guys are all new coming in. Now, where I was disappointed was, was the obvious one. It's the fields to the head coach connection where 
I thought you got to get an offensive mind, someone to come in and really just shoulder to shoulder, take Justin Fields under your wing, groom this guy to be the top 12 in NFL QB that you drafted him to be. And these moves, especially because if you remember back to when the head coaching dominoes were falling, this was one of the first to go. They had their pick of the litter. Um, they could have went after uh, some of the other offensive guys that we'll talk about later on in the show, but they chose. They were obviously impressed with the indie defense or the, the interview that he put on tape, and they went the defensive route. I just, for me, this it's not great from, uh, hey, we got a whole bunch of zero years of head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, zero years in that in those posts prior. Um, so they're going to be learning on the fly along with a very young core set of players, which is Justin Fields, which is Dar- Darnell Mooney, Robinson obviously on the move. Um, and then you got the backfield there with Montgomery and Herbert. I mean, I just, I don't see many things getting better year over year unless they truly lean into making Justin Fields RPO a lot and just, Hey, make things happen with your legs and we'll worry about the passing game developing a little bit later on. That That's my piece. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to crap all over the Bears. I don't have anything against Justin Fields. I just did not see that. I saw this as, as possibly the worst way the cards could have fallen. What do you think, Turtle? Yeah, I mean, the weirdest part of this whole situation is they go in and they trade Khalil Mack, who's their, you know, he's their glue to their, to their defense. So I, I don't know what direction they're going in. I, I did know, I do know that now that Aaron Rodgers is back in the um, in the NFC North, these guys, these other teams aren't going to be competing. I mean that that's how I see it. It's like yeah. how could the Vikings, how could the how could the Lions, and and how could the Bears really compete with that for the next couple of years? Unless they really make some changes and, and really work on their their offensive weapons. Because yeah. I think that you win that division, you need to be an offensive powerhouse. That's a good. That's a good point to make, and that kind of is connecting dots that I previously didn't. In my mind, is they brought in a very full freshman staff. Um, maybe they are taking a three plus year approach to this because I mean I won't even say two plus years because Rogers will still be around, and these guys will only have had one season under their belt. So mm-hmm. maybe they're looking at year three, which is Justin Fields' year four. Um, and if they've seen good progress year over year over the next two, they'll go ahead and exercise that fifth-year option that he carries and say, okay, we got a guy, let's enter year four of, of the QB contract. We've exercised his option. We got him for two. Now we're making a move for the playoff, the wild card, whatever. Yeah, but Brian, even that, even, yeah that, I mean, that logic to me is still, it's still flawed with the coaching hires because you really, you really want to bring somebody in then to develop – the quarterback yeah if you're gonna i mean the the thing about getting a rookie quarterback is they're on their rookie deal if these guys are anything near the elite level you are going to end up putting a significant amount of your salary cap into your quarterback's yearly salary Mm -hmm. and so the leverage for all of these teams and you you see it more and more with the pressure that gets put on these rookies and and younger quarterbacks to perform is that 
there's only a couple years here where the team has a favorable rookie contract to build the rest of the team around. Uh-huh. They're, they're starting to tear the roster down by trading guys like Khalil Mack. They've cut a couple guys as well. Um, and they're clearly not showing that they have anything more than uh, a maybe in the cards with Justin Fields right now. I, I think that's a re- excellent point, and, and one that I just want to elaborate and draw a parallel to fantasy to real life. In fantasy, we've heard everyone's heard of the Konami code. That's generally the hack that mobile QBs have, right? That no matter how crappy they are, they're giving you a floor. It is crappy in real life. They're giving you a high fantasy floor. Just think of Jalen Hurts in 2021. The parallel, the Konami code that these front offices have, Brian, the point you're making is you really have a, a leg up on the rest of the league if you can surround your roster with immense talent because you're paying your high-performing rookie QB nothing. And just to to tie in the point Turtle made is where did Cleo Matt go? He went to LAC. Uh, who do they have? They got Justin Herbert. They're looking around and they're saying, you know what? Obviously, I mean, it's an arms race in the AFC West, right? But at the same time, they're saying, we got wide receiver talent. We got RB talent. Our defensive uh, front, let, let's improve it. And guess what? We'll go take on this whole contract from Khalil Mack, who's owed 30 plus million per year or whatever it is, because we're paying our the most important position on the franchise, you know, pennies compared to what these other guys are playing. And they're, they're, at least they're trying to capitalize on that window that they have that Brian was explaining. Mm. Yeah, to, to, to tie it all in with a, with a bow, you're right. Um, if they are taking that, hey, let's go for it in year four and year five, um, yeah, that, that goes against the, the earlier point I was making. What are they really doing? Because then you're wasting two years of that real-life Konami code. So very interesting. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Um, just not, yeah. just, just not the the most positive situation. I, I don't want to keep beating up on on those guys though. Any any final points on the Bears? Or you want to move on to the Broncos? Yeah, we'll move on to the Broncos after I just say that this this guy, the the Luke Getzey gentleman, who's now their offensive coordinator, has never even led an NFL offense um, fully. So he's going to take the reins, and I don't know what's going to happen. It's it's tough to say. They're all going to be learning on the fly together. Truly yeah. freshman staff across the board. All right, I want to stick with Brian. You were making some earlier points on the, the Denver trade. Now let's stick with the overall Denver offense. Obviously things have changed than if you were trying to evaluate what is Nathaniel Hackett as the, the new head coach coming in. The previous Green Bay offensive coordinator used to being around a good QB, used to being around an offense that's going to have 50 to 65 plays a game. He doesn't run these hyper-efficient, let's get in and out of there with 35 to 40 plays that Russell Wilson was previously doing under Pete Carroll. Hackett likes to huck the ball around. Um, They have a new OC. Hackett brought over Justin Outen. He was the previous Green Bay tight ends position coach. He's the the offensive coordinator by title, although Nathaniel Hackett says he'll call his own plays. What do we think about the offensive mind in Denver? And maybe we can spend less time on this because we've talked about it already, but combining that now with, with Russell Wilson, talk about how that's going to play out for the guys. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, this is the flip side, right? I mean, we, across the board, you have all new 
position, head coach position, uh, offensive coordinator, coordinator, defensive coordinator as well. But I think that the difference here for Nathaniel Hackett is he has a tenured quarterback now with Russell Wilson that he can rely upon to help him grow as a coach within this league. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson has been coached under one of the you know the longest tenured coaches in the league, uh, Pete Carroll. He has shown that he is capable of running an offense, and I think that takes a lot of pressure off of you know Nathaniel Hackett as a first time head coach to focus you know not on having to necessarily call all the right plays, but but put the system around Russ so that Russ can do what Russ does best, and that's run the offense. I think that I think that's really good. I mean, it's almost like think of uh, I mean, he's not Brady, obviously, but he's got that maturity level of, hey, you know, here here's what I'm seeing. You know, uh, I might not try to steal the reins from your hands, but you know, being out on the field, here's how I'm looking at the game, breaking it down, and there's there's less pressure off of a rookie head coach. Turtle, what do you think? Obviously, you know, I, I we'll we'll tie it up with um, real quick thinking of your view of it from a coaching perspective and how that impacts the skill position players, not just the Russell Wilson piece, but Hackett's history and how he approaches the game meshing well or not meshing well with, with the pieces that Denver has. I, I like it. I mean, we've seen what uh, Hackett did in, in Green Bay. So it's like, obviously the pieces there were, I would say eerily similar to um, what Denver has now. If, if, if not, they have a lot more weapons in Denver. So as long as Russell stays healthy, I think this guy Hackett could really uh, can do some damage and really just lead a team to uh, some some good uh, wins this season. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think they're going to get plenty of wins. Yeah. So let's let's stick with you, Turtle. Um, we're going to move on to the Houston Texans. Another three for three, brand new um, coaching staff across the board. We got Lovey Smith who was um, promoted internally. He's going to be the uh, the head coach, and he's also going to be calling his own plays on defense. And then uh, Pep Hamilton, who little little favorite of mine from his days working with Andrew Luck, but he was the passing game coordinator last year, another internal promotion um, to the offensive coordinator position. He'll be calling the plays this year. So Houston, obviously, losing to Sean. But you got Davis there, and who knows what other pieces are going to be coming in the reverse um, direction from the Deshaun trade. But just looking at the landscape, is there anything to be excited about with the defensive mining head coach? Um, is he going to leave everything to, to Pep Hamilton, who's got a good history of, of coaching up QBs very well and, and grooming them? Or are you just out on Houston? I mean, we'll, we'll give we'll give credit where it's due. He 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 did win a Super Bowl early in, earlier in his career, but you know what? He hasn't had a winning season since uh, 2012. So that tells you something, you know. I mean, the Houston Texans are already a dumpster fire. Um, so it's really tough to even think that these guys are going to compete in the next few years. I mean, obviously Davis Mills is a placeholder. They will. I mean, if Malik if Malik keeps rising up the draft boards, maybe they will draft him this year and just hold him and just sit him for the next uh, year and just let Davis Mills take the reins for one year. But overall, I I don't see the Houston Texans doing much um, anytime soon. Yeah, 
Yeah, so, Brian, you got Brandon Cooks. Do you think he'll even be there week one, or um, is, is he moving on? He's really the skilled position player that jumps to mind. Um, of course, you got Nico Collins as the wide receiver, too. But, you know, do, does Pep Hamilton make those at least the wide receiver one and two and maybe throw in Brevin Jordan as the tight end one? Are they anything more than Darth Rose this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Cooks is probably on the move. That that team just, I mean, the Lovey Smith hire is, is my yawn of the week with the coaching uh, hires that we're talking about today. The, he's, he is the ultimate lame duck coach. He will not be there within three years, if that. I, I don't know if he lasts more than one. He may not last more than one. So... I, I tend to think that Brandon Cooks is, is fairly safe no matter what offense he's in. He's shown that he can be a thousand yard receiver. I mean, as, as, as recent as last year. Um, so I, I'm not really concerned about him. I, I don't think he, he's not going to be touching high end wide receiver numbers, but he's going to be the steady Eddie that he's always been. I don't know. This this is whatever to me. That that organization is still suffering from Bill O'Brien and probably will be for the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, and so not not a lot to kind of you know, jump up and for joy with in, in Houston this year. It's going to be hard to you know, look at that roster even if they're bringing in a good rookie or two and and get behind them fully just cuz when you look at it on paper if Vegas is putting them at, you know, fourteen to twenty points a game, man, that that's uh, that that's hard to to get behind any of those of those threats from a fantasy perspective. Um, if you're buying low on any player in that offense, guys, who you and again, let, let's talk the the bottom five spots of your roster where you can afford to maybe put a lottery ticket. If you had to pick one or two players from that offense, you, who are you throwing a dart at? Got to be Nico Collins, probably. Okay, turtle. Well, I, I mean, I'll take in a super flex league. I'll, I'll take I'll take the chance on Davis Mills just in okay. case he does exactly what he did last year and had a few uh, three hundred yard games. So you never know. Okay. All right, we'll move right along. Enough of Houston. Let's move on to Jacksonville. Now, again, we're four out of four here so far with head coaching changes. Also bringing in an entire new. Um, Offensive and defensive coordinator. We got Doug Peterson coming out from taking a year off. Um, obviously, previous Philadelphia Eagles head coach, Super Bowl champ. Um, he brought over from Indianapolis the offensive assistant, um, Press Taylor. He's going to be the offensive coordinator. However, just count on Doug Peterson calling his own plays this year because that's what's going to happen. And then the former Tampa Bay linebackers coach, Mike Caldwell, is going to be the defensive coordinator, but we won't spend any time on that. Now, Turtle, I just want to stick with you. I know you were just talking Houston. Let's stick with you on Jacksonville. Doug Peterson, arrow up, arrow down, not for just fantasy, but for the franchise as a whole. Let's start there and then move into what do you think that impacts on the offensive side of the ball? I would say that anything is better than Urban Meyer at this point, and... Um... You know, Peterson showed that he could produce winning teams. Um, he's an offensive mind, and, and I think that the Jaguars have a lot of offensive weapons that they could really 
um, integrate into their into their game plan. I I think that they had the biggest coaching win out of all of these teams so far. Mm-hmm. Um, now we know that that franchise is a little screwy as well, so anything <laughs> could happen with them. But at least getting him there to lead the team, I think, is a huge is a huge plus for them. I mean, it will definitely help Trevor Lawrence's development. And hopefully it will it will help um, that whole offense, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I would say this if I if I were to inject my opinion, I wouldn't say this is the exact opposite way that I felt about the moves that the Chicago Bears made. You know, saying I got a rookie QB and here are the moves I'm going to do. Um, it wasn't the polar opposite because I was very very down on those. But I think, to your point, th- this hire was was kind of at the tail end of the uh, of the head coaching hiring cycle. They had to woo Doug Peterson out of retirement, and some of the other ones that I think I think there's other offensive minds that landed elsewhere that I would have preferred. Mm-hmm. But um, I think this is this is a, a a tangible step in the right direction, and I think they are going to take the long-term approach uh, with this. I think the, the after the last less than one year kind of turnstile with Urban Meyer, I think this owner is going to give Doug all the leash in the world, um, enough rope to hang himself, as they say. And I think they're going to be patient with the development, and they might have very reasonable expectations you know, uh, what was your win total last year, too? All right, go win four games this year, seven games the year after. After that, let's make a push for the wild card. I think they're not going to ask for it overnight because I think they drafted t- Trevor Lawrence number one overall, and they're expecting him to be there for 10-plus years. Mm-hmm. And whether they win one in the first five on that rookie contract or not, he's not going to be going anywhere. So I think they're taking a very long-term view. And, and I agree, this was this was – positive for the franchise what do you think brian yeah i mean i I'll, i won't belabor i think you guys both made good points i i think that this was uh an unsexy but also a good coaching hire um interesting fact doug when doug peterson was still in philly he wanted to promote press taylor press taylor was on his staff in philly he wanted to promote press taylor to the oc and he got shut down uh, one of the reasons he had some conflicts with management. So it'll be interesting to see now that he has his pick of of Press Taylor as as his offensive coordinator, whether or not that was the right call and whether Philly will ultimately re- regret that decision as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, good good point. Good little deep dive there. All right, let's 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 move along. Next is going to be the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, again, five for five here with full coaching staff change across the board. We got Josh McDaniels coming over, former offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots, um, and like these guys are just going to be the Patriots West because on the the offensive coordinator side of the ball, they took Mick Lombardi as the OC. Um, he's the former wide receiver position coach for New England, and Patrick Graham is the New York Giants defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator, is now the DC. For the Raiders, so three out of three in the leadership positions all change. Two out of three being New England. McDaniel's, I mean, he hasn't said, but I can guarantee you, um, he's going to be calling his own plays. I'll, I'll 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 start with with my take, and I think um, 
I don't know that these guys had to make uh, a change at the head coaching position. I thought the the interim uh, head coach last year did did a good enough job pulling that franchise up from the Gruden scandal and the Henry Ruggs. I don't even know if you call that a scandal. Just debacle. A, just yeah, just awful real life and um, football related news there. Um, and I mean he. Brass tacks. He he brought these guys to the playoffs. Now, obviously, they they weren't impressed enough. Maybe from a leadership position, or just maybe it was an age um, of 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 the coach. And I'm blanking on his name. I'm sorry. Um, but they brought in McDaniel's, and apparently, this is someone who um, leadership within the organization had their eyes on for the while, and they finally got their man. So that that seems to me that. Again, they're going to give him all the rope needed to be aggressive in free agency, the draft, whatever the whatever the team that McDaniel's wants to form, he's going to be allowed to form. And if you're coming from a coaching um, tree, Belichick's tree hasn't had the much success um, historically, but he has learned from the best and potentially learned from his mistakes in Denver. I think this is going to be good for um, the short area receiving game, and I think it's going to be good for um, the backfield. Now, I think he's going to take a very New England approach to the backfield, and what I what I mean by that is you're going to have two usable guys, not one stud. It's going to be similar to when James White and Damian Harris are usable in the, the 2020 season, or... This season where, I mean, Brandon Bolden, let's be serious, was a usable flex position guy. I think he's going to make two or three guys in that backfield usable. Sure, it's going to cap their upside as to maybe mid to low RB2s, but not the worst thing in the world to have as 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 depth. And I think he knows how to use the, um, the slot receiver, uh, the best probably of any coach in the NFL, because... New England does nothing if not make highly productive slot receivers. So I like what that means for Hunter Renfro, if I'm being completely honest. And I know Brian got him in the trade today, and I had him, and and I was pursuing him myself. But um, I will say a lot of that, what I'm saying, hinges on Derek Carr being there. There are a lot of rumors flying that teams are coming on, um, on strong for Derek Carr for some reason. Not sure why, but uh, I can also see the appeal of a guy who just led a team to the playoffs versus if you're sitting there with a retired Tom Brady or, you know, a potentially expensive Jameis Winston while you want to look elsewhere. But um, uh, all that to say, I think this is a net positive for the franchise if Derek Carr is there under center week one. Brian, I'll hand it over to you for comments. Yeah, no, I I, I think this is this is a solid run of the mill coaching hire. Josh McDaniels is one of the is and has been one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL for quite a while. Comes from the Belichick co- coaching tree, clearly respected by Belichick because he was there early on in his career before he went to become the head coach of the Broncos. Failed out of the Broncos, bounced around a little bit, but ultimately ended up back in New England as the offensive coordinator, and has been doing a good job and 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 continuing to build upon the success that New England's had throughout recent and and you know 
quite two decades, quite, quite deep history at this point, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a good hire by the Raiders. Um, I I think that McDaniel's, like you said, has probably learned from his mistake and mistakes of the past, and, and hopefully it will be good. So, yeah, okay. All right, so thumbs up in terms of maybe some of the the stock there. Do, do you disagree with with who benefits um, from a fantasy side of the ball with that hire? Um, I think, like just to recap, me, I think they make the RBs usable, not elite, and any short area game is um, is good. I don't recall, you know, since Randy Moss a really big wide receiver one um, season, so not sure that Renfro is going to be crazy, but definitely weekly usable. I uh, just can't see one of those outside guys, you know, going crazy. Turtle, what do you think from a fantasy perspective? Any any disagreements or? Oh no, you know, I, I think that Renfro is going to be there. You know, Waller's going to be there, but mainly what it's going to really uh, improve on is Josh Jacobs. You know, McDaniel's has been leading top five run offenses for the past freaking what twenty years for the Patriots. So they always, or at least at least in rush attempts. So you know that yep. they're going to be running the ball a lot. Yep. Um, which in in reality is gonna um, make for a lot of opportunities for these for these running backs. Yeah, I, I like it. I I think that you know as long as he can improve on his um, record from when he was coaching head coach of the Broncos, he'll be he'll be in good shape. Okay. All right. Let's move on to Miami. Um, this is a team that only had two out of three changes, but they're both uh, at the head coach and offensive coordinator position. Um, we got Mike McDaniel. Uh, previous San Fran offensive coordinator. Now, don't don't say McDaniel's. It's not McDaniel's. It's McDaniel. No S. Now, the interesting thing, he never called plays. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan called those plays, so he has not called plays. He brought along Frank Smith. He was the LAC uh, run game coordinator in uh, for the Chargers. So, you know, say that about what you will. I mean, obviously, Eckler's great, but, um, you know, I wouldn't say that they had, like, some power run run game scheme. I, I think McDaniels implements the scheme there for Miami. Um, Brian, want want to stick with you. What do you think about this uh, this Miami hire? He's if you've never seen any of the McDaniel pressers, cue him on YouTube. It's an interesting watch. He's he's certainly an interesting guy. Borderline quirky. Um, they're always good 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 views, but is he going to be able to lead these guys to where they want to go as a franchise? Yeah, I mean, this is the ultimate step outside the box for the Miami organization, right? Um, I mean, McDaniel does not come from a football legacy. He is not one of these guys that we see come in following in, you know, parents or cousins or, you know, relation uh relation um footsteps right he is a ivy league uh you know borderline savant at football many credit him for being the brains behind the san francisco run game and everything that i've heard was that san francisco was trying to hide him from the rest of the league because they valued him so much so really interesting hire by the dolphins I'm excited to see what this guy does, right? He's either going to take that team to the next level and do some really amazing, incredible things with that team and make them make them fantasy relevant in a number of different ways, or he is just going to tank. He's going to faceplant, yeah. He's going to faceplant. 
So I, I'm I'm excited to see what's going to happen there. Yeah, it, it's an interesting dynamic when you're you could be the best thing um, at something. You could be the best at something, but um, if you don't have leadership qualities, um, that that's a hard you know square peg round hole. It's a hard thing to to force yourself into. So we might find out pretty quickly. Um, either by the product in the field or what we're hearing from the beat writers there, if um, you know the rubber is meeting the road in terms of this guy working out as a leader of men versus just being a savant on uh, in the uh, in the practice rooms. Turtle, any anything on the mic? Yeah, side? It, I mean, as long as he mirrors the 49ers offense from the past few years, uh, especially their run game, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape they they have a lot of weapons to succeed um and as long as they i mean i guess they'll draft a running back this year in the draft i would think they would at least i don't know if they want to be running uh, the ball with gaskin all year again but yeah. um if they I make a that, move if they make a move in the draft yeah or um or if they go get a veteran uh, i mean if something shakes out like i don't know i'm just i don't throw something crazy out there if um, if Sony Michelle finds his way there in free agency, and so does Raheem Mostert, and they forego drafting anyone in the NFL draft, how how fast are you running to the sleeper app hashtag not a sponsor um, to make a trade offer to the Sony or the Mostert owner? I don't think that fast. <laughs> okay, all right. So th- there is a limit. You're you want. You want a rookie going there, or you want a bigger name getting traded there or signed there, and then you're like, okay, I, th- this guy is going to be good in this scheme. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be Gaskin or, or, or uh, yeah, it's not going to be Gaskin. <laughs> okay, all right. So Miami, um, we we talked a lot about the run game. Final point: What does that mean? This guy's obviously very run centric. Tua threw the ball a ton last year under Flores. Um. Obvious we know Jimmy Garoppolo did not huck the ball around like uh, like Mahomes throwing 35, 45, 50 times a game. If we're going run-centric, do we have a regression coming in the negative direction for the Miami wide receiver and tight end core? Well, I, I think there – I mean, if, if you look at the – way that Debo was employed in San Francisco. I think that Waddle is that same type of player that and and I don't want to say like every player is going to be come Debo mold, right? But I, I think at some point you, you you have to throw the ball to keep the defense honest, right? So you you have to be willing to throw the ball to your wide receivers. I think Waddle is probably of of anybody there the safest option. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think that he can probably continue the success that he saw last year. I, I don't know that I'd expect a ton, a ton otherwise, which I mean, personally, I don't think speaks super well for Tua, but yeah. Okay. All right. So not super excited other than the big name in the wide receiver game at this, at this juncture. We'll, we'll have to revisit that. All right. Team number seven with a head coaching change, Minnesota Vikings, brought in the L.A. Rams' former offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell. And they brought in, he brought with him, rather, uh, Wes Phillips, who was the tight end position coach uh, with L.A. Rams as well. Um, Kevin O'Connell is going to call his own plays, so Wes Phillips is just going to be the O.C. by title um, and have some other, you know, responsibilities. 
But game day, O'Connell's calling the plays. Obviously, we know he grew up with uh, McVay and Shanahan all in that um, Washington um, commanders. They weren't commanders at the time, obviously, um, team. And he has crossroads with Kirk Cousins. He knows Kirk Cousins. And now he is the head coach for Kirk. So there's going to be some continuity there, I would think. But being the Jefferson owner, I'm going to abstain from evaluating the situation. And Turtle, can you walk us through the thoughts of of what should we take coming from the Super Bowl winning Kevin O'Connell now taking the reins in Minnesota? Yeah, I don't think their offense is going to change too much. I don't think he's going to revolutionize it. You know, I think they'll start throwing in a little bit more trickery, some play action, um, you know, some, some more some more motion. But overall, I think that offense is going to remain pretty intact because they really only have those two weapons. They really have Justin Jefferson and they have Dalvin Cook. Um, so it's a pretty simple game plan, in my opinion. And with this whole Kirk Cousins thing, is he going to stay or is he going to go? You know, that could just tear the whole thing down. Yeah, I, I think there's... A zero percent chance Kirk moves, but uh, Brian, what do you, what do you think? You think that's within the the realm of things, or is everything going to be pretty much as it was last season? Narrow route tree, good running game. No, I I Eight think wins. Yeah, th- this is probably the last. I mean, th- this is the last Kirk Cousins shot to take them to the next level, right? Uh-huh. I, he has to do it this year. I, I don't think that they're going to move him this year because I don't think that there's an, there's anything else out there that's better than Kirk Cousins that they could move on from and feel happy about, right? So, uh, And I think that, you know, Kevin O'Connell's offense is going to be built upon the passing game, right, which mm-hmm. I, I think probably uh, devalues Dalvin Cook a little bit. I still think Dalvin is Dalvin, and and you know he'll always be a top running back in this league. But I don't think we're going to see him touching, you know, top six value. I think probably bottom end RB one is more likely for him going forward. Um, I I think Justin Jefferson has a chance to just transcend uh, this world into places completely unknown, and and he could he could have he could be Cooper Cup twenty twenty two. Yeah, I, I, I was a little pumped up when O'Connell came out and, and said, you know, they moved Jefferson around the formation, but they they did not move him around like we moved around Cup. And that's our plan with Jefferson is, is he's going to be all over. And Cup was in the backfield too. Um, and again, I don't want to be like Brian said and saying everyone's Debo. That's certainly not Jefferson's um, physical build. Not going to happen, but... He's quick enough to get a, a jet sweep here and there. He's not going to line up in the traditional eye formation like Debo does. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I think there's, at least this year, I'd agree with Brian, they, things stay status quo in terms of the names that you know being being the good ones. And I think um, we were talking about in, in a previous episode, um, there could be some, you know, other guys who get in the mix uh, if they start to spread it around with a three wide receiver set, which traditionally hasn't been the case um, in Minnesota. You know, maybe KJ Osborne, Thieland, and Jefferson are all in the field, similar to how they were running the the three in, in LA. And let's not forget, Irv Smith is coming back. I don't know if that lights either of your two worlds on fire. Irv Smith, anyone? I mean, good. 
He was a hot name last year. We'll see. Yeah, not a lot of stands on the call then for Irv. All right, let's move on. This is not a fun one. I don't know who to throw this one to. New Orleans Saints, internal hire. Sean Payton retires. Um, is he going into the, the the color commentator business? We'll see. Is this just a ploy to kind of avoid a rebuild um, and not get a bunch of losses on his on his win loss record? There's been some scuttlebutt on that, and and who can blame him? He's earned it if he wants to take a bit of a sabbatical. Dennis Allen seems like, as Brian said earlier with Lovey Smith, seems like a one-year lame duck head coach. I do not know how this guy makes it more than one year. I don't know how he keeps getting head coaching jobs instead of giving someone else uh, a new chance. Um, the offensive coordinator stays the same. Um, they have the non-traditional, and I know we don't talk defensive here um, in fantasy, but they they with the non-traditional, they hire the dual head coaches, I mean, the, the dual DCs, right? They got uh, Chris Richards and Ryan Nielsen being co-defensive coordinators. Just thought that was funny enough to bring up here. Um, but but let's let's talk about the, the offensive side of the ball. And, um, and Turtle, I want uh, to throw it to you. What are we thinking about the Saints? I mean, are they are the Texans an even better better team to go get some fantasy talent from than, than the New Orleans Saints this year? Uh, I I don't even know anything about this coach to be honest with you, and I, I don't really I don't really care. I think the Saints are in big trouble. I yeah. mean, you know, I I think their best option is to try to get Jameis Winston re-signed there. Yeah. And that, that's think, exactly when you started talking where I wanted to get. I, I wanted to say, give us the next few months, best case scenario, how does things play out? Talk to me about Jameis. Talk to me about um, who you want them to sign or at least what position you want them to sign in free agency. And tell me how the best case scenario with, with Alvin Kamara, obviously legal situation. If everything goes right, what, is, what does that look like? And then what does that mean for fantasy? Yeah, I mean, well, Traquan Smith's a free agent, and he was, you know, he was starting to develop a little bit. I doubt he stays, but I, I think the only way that the Saints even can compete at all next year is, like I said, re-sign Jameis, and Kamara needs to not get suspended for the first however many games that we think he's going to get suspended for. I mean, mm-hmm. they obviously need some wide receivers. Who knows with Michael Thomas? That guy hasn't played football in about three years at this point, so it's just, you know... It's tough to see such a great organization just immediately fall off a cliff just because the coach um, leaves them. And that's what I really think is going to happen because we all know Taysom Hill is not the guy. So if, no. if that's their plan, that team is not in a good a good position to succeed. I mean, the Taysom Hill experiment had to stop as soon as uh, Peyton left the building, don't you think? Yeah, Brian? Oh, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. No, I, I, I agree. Yeah. So I would say, you know, like you said, best case scenario, Winston under center, Kamara available week one, Thomas back and playing, um, Troutman back and playing because he was rounding into form then then in the season under injury. And maybe they go out and get a wide receiver in free agency or the draft. I mean, if they have Allen Robinson, Michael Thomas, Jameis Winston, and Alvin Kamara, are we talk, singing a different song in, in, in September? With with Jameis, I think they could be successful. Without Jameis, I think that they're toasted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't Honestly, I don't know who they would start 
because I don't think it's Hill. I don't think it's Simeon. And if Winston goes to be the QB somewhere else, whether it's Seattle or Indy or whatever, back to Tampa. Who do you really got? Is it Mariota? Is, is that where Mariota goes? Is that where Trubisky goes? Uh, I don't think either of those guys. I I truly, in my heart, believe that both of those guys aren't going to get a starting role. Mariota or Trubisky, I really don't think they will. All right, well, that, that's a decent segue then. Let's talk about our last team with head coaching changes. That's the New York Giants. They brought in Brian Dable, former offensive coordinator for the Bills. Um, and he brought over Mike Kafka as his offensive coordinator, who was the QB coach for Kansas City. So that's kind of... You know, your eyes slant a little bit when you see that. Obviously, you got a guy who's been around Patrick Mahomes, who's groomed a rookie quarterback, yada, yada, yada. you got a new uh, head coach coming in, but with, you know, Daniel Jones. So is that an angle to, hey, let's give Jones some of the grooming that he never got, obviously, under the previous regime? Is the Trubisky links, now bringing back to your point, Tyler, is the Trubisky links with Dable real? He was just there in Buffalo. Did he like enough what he saw to give him a legitimate chance to win the starting job um, in New York? Or is the potential Kafka hire, who's you know QB whisperer in, in KC, more of an angle to say, we're going to draft our QB of the future and we want the staff around them to be ready to uh, train that guy up from day one. You guys are both Giants fans. I just want you to, uh, to you know, speak from the heart here. What, what do we think about these hires and what does it mean for, for your beloved G-men? It's, it's rough. It's rough being a Giants fan. The dabble hire definitely gives, I would say, it gives myself hope. But my brothers hate me for this, man. I am not a Daniel Jones truther. I do not think he belongs in the Giants' backfield, and I think the sooner that they move on from him, the better off they're going to be. I know he hasn't had the time to develop, but you know what? I've seen enough to realize that he is not their guy. Maybe Dabble can come in and, and really just, you know, develop him, I would say, overnight because that's really what they need to do. They were such a great winning franchise, and now all of a sudden they're just, you know, the worst the worst team to have to watch and root for. Mm. I remember a few years back, um, the year that Justin Herbert was first eligible to come out and the Giants held the high pick. Everybody was speculating that Herbert was going to go to the Giants, and then he, wanted, he he ended up staying at Oregon to play with his brother, who I think was a tight end. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty I sure remember that. that's the year that the Giants drafted Daniel Jones, and I'll never forgive them for that. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah, as a as a Giants fan, right? I, I think the prospect of of Dable and Kafka, you know, it, it gets me excited enough um, that I, I I think you know. I think they'll be good head coaches. I really hope that they will just sacrifice this season and get Bryce Young next year. Yes, um, yes. That, we that, needed a dual-threat quarterback for years. I've been saying this for years. And I do not consider Daniel Jones a dual-threat quarterback, even though he has the fastest time in open space out of any quarterback in the past like however many years. I don't consider him dual-threat. 
So I'm I'm excited about the hire. I I really hope that he just takes a year and and gets us some high draft pick capital next year. Takes advantage of the strength of this class, which is the defense. Doesn't reach for a mediocre quarterback and uh, and resets next year. Yeah, I mean, I gotta I gotta tell you, I am extremely extremely high on on Dable. Um, I've kind of been you know. Champing him to to get a head co- head coaching job for a while now. I thought he's done a fantastic job um, with the guys that that he's uh, managed, um, especially you know what he's done with with uh, Josh Allen. Um, I think this is a good turn for the franchise. Now, similar to your points, I don't know that this changes anything this year. But if we're looking to change the tide of a franchise, I think. Um, this is is certainly a, a good place to 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 start. Um, I, I think he's he did a good job um, in Buffalo. Now, what does that mean if we're if we're looking brass tacks? Uh, let's put the QB position to the side. I think there's probably some cloudiness around it if it's Jones or it's going to be Jones Trubisky or whatever it is, right? Um, the skilled position players that we care about in fantasy. What does this mean for a guy like Saquon? Um, now, he's going to have a different quarterback, obviously. Uh, but in Buffalo, the running game really wasn't relied upon. Um, it was really just run and gun. Um, is this a guy who's going to make the wide receivers um, you know, jump? a tier from where they were last year. I mean, Kenny Galladay, zero touchdowns, stuff like that, make them usable. Or is this just an offense that's just going to straight stink again? I, I, I hope not. I, I hope that they don't stink again, but you know, and this is from the heart, like you said, like it's just rough to see what they've become the past many years. So I don't think one year is going to make a huge difference for them. I hope that we see a Saquon revival. I hope that we see a Kenny Galladay revival, but it's not something that I'm I'm betting on. You're, you're talking to a couple dejected Giants fans here. Yeah, uh, I thought I was going to hear. You know, maybe do we get any Kadarius Tony truthers? Do I mean does does he look at it and say, hey, I got a weapon, and I'm going to just scheme this guy and get Kenny Galladay in space and get Saquon in the flat? And I, I think this will do more for the wide receivers than any other position in this offense. I think there's they'll be limited by the quarterback play, which but but I mean it you can only be so much worse than zero touchdowns. Yeah, uh, and I mean how bad? I mean how bad was it to have Jason Garrett and Joe Judge? I mean it literally it literally you got to think like things are going up just with Dable like plus 15%, plus 20% over what they were. I mean, the numbers are low, so it's not a big multiplier, but things got to be, like, percentage-wise, tangibly better, just those guys out the door, goodbye. And, and I love Saquon as much as the next guy, and, I, and I, I, want, I, I want more than anything for him to be a Hall of Famer, but I don't think that he's ever going to be the top six running back that he was in his rookie season again. Mm. I think the injuries have slowed him down a bit, but I also think that when he was drafted, he was drafted to be the focal point of that offense, and and I don't think that he's going to be the focal point of the Brian Dable, Mike Kafka offense. It's going to be the passing game. Yeah, so that final question for you two Giants fans. Evan Ingram, 
Sounds like he's going to be shown the door. Is this a good riddance? See you later. See ya. Bye, Felicia. All right. We don't care about that. All right. So that wraps up our head coaching changes. We've obviously talked about the OCs on those teams as well. Dable's going to be calling his own play, if we didn't mention that. Um, any final thoughts? Did you guys want to hit any teams that kept um, their head coach but changed their offensive coordinator? I mean, the ones that come to mind is you got Ben McAdoo, or maybe you want to call it Ben McAdoo going in Carolina. You got Ben Johnson. I don't want to underrate this one. Ben Johnson is now the OC um, in Detroit. And little known fact, Amon Ra St. Brown came out uh, at the end of last year and, and credited Ben Johnson, who was the tight end coach there, as um, the reason behind his breakout. So apparently when they fired the OC and, and Dan Campbell started calling plays, him and, him and Ben Johnson were, um, you know, part of the brain trust in, in forming those game plans. And, and apparently they liked enough of what Johnson did to give him the OC role. So maybe some benefits there. Um, and then the, the odd hire and probably doesn't mean anything is Liam Cohen, who was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky is now the OC with the LA Rams. But uh, I got to imagine McVay stays calling his own plays as well. At any any other thoughts from around the league um, at these key key influencing positions with with what we ultimately care about, which is fantasy stats, um, that you guys wanted to touch on? I mean, I, I think Ben McAdoo's sort of a, a running joke, but I, I don't think he's necessarily the worst hire for Carolina. the passing game in that offense. I mean, if you look at the Giants, while McAdoo was the head coach, they. I mean, they threw the heck out of the ball. Um, so I, I think that I think that that's a sneaky good hire for the offense. Whether or not it actually leads to to success for the team, I think is is a different question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think fantasy wise, I, I I don't see that as being a, a terrible move. Okay. All right, Turtle. Any closing thoughts on today's show before we wrap? No, I'm I'm excited for free agency to start. Let's uh, let's get these guys signed and uh, talk about that next time. <laughs> I know. Next time we connect, we're going to have a few days of the free agency window open, so there is going to be a lot to talk about. And things are going to start shifting in dynasty, right? Um, and it's going to be fun. We're we're getting into a really fun part of the off season that you know. The dynasty community is the, the, the really only community that, that uh, really lives and dies by those blurbs that are coming out in, in the, the Twitter uh, breaking news. So let's have fun with that. And, um, yeah, we'll talk to you guys in a week. We'll, we'll leave you one more time with Can Feel You by Nico Anuch. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening.